0: seconds flat. Give me up. Look at Mills! Look at Bill, I've got a Mills! The state wins the 10,000 meter. Stand by for the kick of Dave Waddle. If he's got it, he could make it. I think he did it! Dave Waddle wants to go and go! This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. Hey friends, welcome to mile 93 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. This week we'll unpack one of the most common topics we get questions about. The nuances of easy and recovery running. Dialing in these efforts can yield as much improvement as your harder sessions and leave you a healthier and happier runner. I'm flying solo on this episode, but we can't wait to get the other member's Of the Three Musketeers back in studio soon. Before we hit the topic du jour, let's catch up on the action from the Pre Fontaine Classic this weekend. The Pre Classic is back in Eugene after a hiatus in California due to the Hayward Field construction, and the event made its debut at the new stadium last weekend. The network television window from 1.30 to 3 Pacific Time Saturday was so action-packed alone, it felt on par with the Tokyo Olympics. In fact, for track and field competition, this might have been the greatest single day bang for your buck this year outside of the 24-hour window in Tokyo, starting with the men's 400 hurdles and ending with the women racing the same event. Before we even got to the NBC coverage, Courtney Frerich started off Saturday with a bang. The Olympic silver medalist crushed her own American record in becoming the first American woman under nine minutes for the 3,000-meter steeplechase. Frerich's performance was the bellwether for a record-setting day. We saw a thing Mo finish her season with a dominant 800-meters breaking away from the field for the entire bell lap en route to a new American record and 2021 world leading time of 1 minute 55.04 seconds. Her reward? In her candid post-race interview, she said she'll take a well-deserved trip to the beach with her brother. Good on you a thing. The meat and American soil records fell in the men's Bowerman Mile, raced annually in honor of famed Oregon coach Bill Bowerman. Olympic 1500-meter gold winner Jakob Ingebrigtsen cruised through the mile in 347, edging out Ozzie Stuart McSwain, the only other man in contention, with a controlled kick over the final 200 meters. The precocious pup appears poised to claim the Roaring Twenties as the decade of Ingebritsen. I expect we'll see his assaults on world record times from 1,500 through 5,000 meters in the near future. Also, in the men's 200 meters, our guy, Noah Lyles, sprinted to a stunning world lead and meet record of 19.52 seconds. Noah showed reclaimed form in his dominant performance after disappointment in Tokyo. There were plenty of other personal bests and meet record performances. So if you missed the live event, check out the highlights from one of the best sporting events of the year on the NBC Sports channel on YouTube. Now, let's move on to our main topic, how to best execute easy and recovery running. This is among the most asked about and least understood subjects in our sport. It seems self-evident that easy simply means easy, but that vocabulary has so many different interpretations for runners. Our goal this week is to help establish clear guidelines for you to get the most out of your easy running, which is central to improving your faster running. To begin, let's return to our commonly used refrain here on the podcast. Know why you are doing what you are doing when you are doing it. Understanding the why, what, and when of easy running will set your course for training. First, why? Let's briefly explain some of the many reasons why. Easy running is the central place where we develop our aerobic system. Simply put, the more oxygen we can pump through our bodies via more red blood cells, increased capillary density, and increased mitochondrial density, the more energy we can produce in our bodies to support aerobic activity. Aerobic sources contribute the majority of energy for every distance and middle distance running event, whereas anaerobic sources... Or those without oxygen, provide only a small percentage. For example, the marathon is generally regarded as less than one percent anaerobic. Consistent, disciplined, easy running over not days, not weeks, but months and years is how we develop a bigger engine for our bodies. But to harness and utilize that engine, we need a sound structure Here, consistent, easy running benefits us as well as our tendons and ligaments adapt and become more able to handle the ground force impacts of running. As a reference, imagine the first time you crossed a big distance barrier in training. Maybe it was a mile or an hour or 10 miles. Remember how sore you felt the next day? Now consider how you feel having consistently crossed that Rubicon in training. What was once as intimidating as Everest is now conquered with relative ease. Your mind and your body are beautifully adaptable creations. Also, studies show compiling easy volume over time is the greatest indicator for improving efficiency and associated running economy which we've defined here as the oxygen cost of running at submaximal levels. Concerned about your form? It's possible a few minor tweaks could make you more efficient, but it's just as likely with practice over time, your body will find its own path of least resistance. And while we can simultaneously improve economy with sessions like short hill sprints, there is no substitute for the years long process of accumulated miles. Another key benefit of easy running is recovery. Running easy on the day after a hard session or in the evening following a morning session for higher volume athletes increases blood flow to the stressed areas, which aids in restoration by reducing inflammation, healing muscle trauma, and removing waste products through the lymphatic system. Moreover, we experience greater muscle pliability. This is a feeling we all know as our stiff muscles loosen up during a warm-up. We'll discuss recovery running more in a few moments as it's a distinct subcategory of easy running requiring its own parameters. Perhaps the best of all reasons why we run easy is just sheer joy. It is our expression of our bodies in motion through the world a natural instinct we've all pursued since our youth. Our games of play, our scholastic sports, our fitness pursuits, they are all rooted in motion, in running. And as our ability to endure distance improves, we tap into an intrinsic spirit of exploration, both of the natural world and of our own limits. What is more distinctly human than that? Plus. Easy running is a place where we can live in community, sharing life and passion with our fellow man. We learn about one another's hopes, dreams, insecurities, and heartbreaks, or just the minutiae of everyday existence. Take a moment to remind yourself of the fun you've had and memories you've made simply trotting alongside friends. Okay, now that we've reinforced the value of why we run easy, And there are certainly even more reasons why we could consider in future episodes, such as improved utilization of fat for fueling. Let's for now turn to the when. When, most of the time, the vast majority of our running should be done at an easy effort. That exact percentage is variable, but we can examine a few case studies for more detail. First, Renowned exercise scientist Steven Seiler's work laid the foundation for the theory of an approximately 80-20 distribution of easy versus hard running, meaning 80% of the global volume should be run easily. My analyses of training logs from some of the stars of the recent Tokyo Games show slightly higher amounts of running at faster paces. A sample week for 1500 meter gold medalist Jakob Ingebrigtsen reveals approximately 70% of the training done as easy distance. Men's marathon winner, Elliot Kipchoge's log, shows 71% of his total running minutes from a typical week and the heart of his training was easy running. But this isn't necessarily universal. American Women's Marathon bronze medalist Molly Seidel's training has more variation, including a sample high-volume week with nearly 90% of total running at easy paces. In other weeks, however, she incorporates quality into her long run and completes both AM and PM threshold sessions on one day, yielding percentages more in line with Ingebrigtsen and Kipchoge. While elite training may give us insight into better training planning, it is equally possible these are approaches that elites can handle better than the rest of us given genetic differences, experience levels, professional schedules, and countless other individual variables. What we can assert is the unanimity of spending the majority of our minutes running easy. And we also see each of these athletes runs especially slow on recovery days, valuing a clear modulation of efforts and distances. Here, we'll define recovery runs as those runs immediately following a strenuous session. If you run a challenging fartlek on Tuesday, then Wednesday is a recovery day. It's possible that at times you may need multiple days of recovery running. Or if you're doubling, the recovery might include the Tuesday afternoon run following the fartlek, as well as Wednesday's morning run. But we'll use the next day variable in evaluating what these professionals did in training. Seidel regularly averaged between 7.20 and 8 minutes per mile in recovery. In sweltering conditions on race day, she averaged 5 minutes and 38 seconds per mile in a tactical race executed progressively, with the second half run closer to a 5.30 average mile. This is more in line with her personal best time and suggests Seidel frequently ran approximately two or more minutes per mile slower than marathon pace during recovery efforts. Elliot Kipchoge's data communicates similar trends. His easiest days average almost three minutes per mile below marathon pace. That's an exceptionally stirring number when translated to a percentage and applied to the avid recreational runner. A three-hour marathoner might have a recovery run pace of between 11 and 12 minutes per mile for the comparable effort as a percentage of his or her best mark. Another standard recovery mechanism for Kipchoge and his training partners is starting as slow as 10 minutes per mile, the affectionately described Kenyan shuffle, then gradually and steadily progressing through the entire run to a more moderate clip. All these case studies naturally segue into the what or how of easy running. We can outline several principles for what easy running should look and feel like. One, in the mold of Elliot Kipchoge, it's okay if your pace on easy and recovery days gradually increases over the course of the run as a natural byproduct of warming up and decreasing muscle stiffness. Two. With that said, an inability to maintain pace for the final mile of a recovery run suggests the run started too fast and optimal recovery may not be occurring. Three, we should end a recovery run feeling better than when we started. Four, the rate of perceived exertion for any easy or recovery day should be exceedingly low. Five, The run always remains conversational, meaning we can easily verbally communicate with our training partners during the run. And six, effort is always more important than targeting any particular pace per mile on easy or recovery days. Pace cues like being two plus minutes per mile slower than marathon pace on a true recovery day serve better as a speed limit rather than a hard and fast rule constantly dictating pace. Temporarily setting aside the overwhelming quantities of data available through our smartwatches and phones and allowing your body, not your watch, to determine recovery pace can help create a mind-body association with the feel of easy effort. It is also significant to consider your relative mileage and number of workouts per week in determining easy paces. If 40 miles per week is a high number for you and you're presently consistently near that number, it's logical for many of those easy miles to be slower as compared to when you only run 20 miles per week. For those of you who have experienced a marathon training block, remember how the body feels over the most rigorous stretch of weeks. Your body is screaming at you to take it easy and not worry about clicking off your usual easy pace. It's okay to err on the side of caution and it's wise not to simultaneously increase both global volume and global intensity for extended stretches of training. Additionally, if you are running a limited number of days per week and focused on harder sessions, You can use your cross-training modalities on the other days as recovery. Swimming or cycling may be your preferred methods of cross-training. If so, keep the efforts in line with the guidance we laid out for recovery, and maybe even use an alternative like pool walking when your body feels most fatigued. We've previously discussed the merits of microcycles lasting anywhere from 9 to 14 days, But in the Western world, we normally use a seven-day training microcycle synced with our calendar week. Given this construction, we often see runners doing either one workout midweek and a weekend long run, or two workouts during the week plus a long run. This too impacts our easy running. The week more dense with quality, as frequently employed by Ingebrigtsen, Kipchoge, and Seidel, necessitates an extra recovery day. By contrast, in his fantastic read, Inside a Marathon, Scott Fauble shares his New York City and Boston Marathon builds, which often have a workout on Wednesday, then a long-run workout on the weekend. His Tuesday and Friday easy efforts may end up quicker because of the space between hard sessions. However, it's also important to remember the quality of each workout. If you're on Fauble's schedule, and do a long, strenuous Wednesday session, you might need multiple days of recovery leading into the weekend long run. As a general rule, if you think you might need another day of recovery, take it. If you think you might need an extra easy day before another workout, take it. As a final point, the athletes we highlighted are not crushing every harder session. The workouts are challenging, but controlled. They play the long game, knowing as New Balance Boston coach Mark Coogan said in a recent interview, it's not just one workout that's going to make you have a good race. He added, I'd rather do 20 B-plus workouts over 10 weeks instead of having four A-plus workouts. Exhibiting that same discipline on both hard and easy days demonstrates mastery control, focus, patience, a subjugation of your ego in pursuit of excellence, and a focus on the important over the immediate. We hope this has been a thorough examination of what your easy days should look and feel like and why easy days are critical to your success. That is all for mile 93. Next time, we'll dive into Molly Seidel's remarkable Olympic marathon performance and the lessons we can learn from her about training, recovery, and resilience. We'll see you then. Have a great week.